I'm concluding our series today, Roommates, Bad Dates, and Great Mates. And I want to talk to you about the makings of a great marriage. Now, I want to begin this talk today by asking you a question. How many of you have ever seen a fairy tale wedding that ended in a horror story? Anybody see that? I mean, it was fairy tale. It was a beautiful wedding, but boy, the the marriage ended in a horror story. I, I think we've all seen marriages that started off right and then ended up so wrong. And what causes that? What causes a marriage to to have a great beginning and then such a terrible ending? How does Mr. Right so quickly become Mr. Wrong? And I think the, the best question that we could ask ourselves is, is there anything that we can do about it? I mean, does every marriage have to start off with Mr. Right and Mrs. Right and end up as Mr. Wrong and, and Mrs. Wrong? Or is there something we can do about that? And the, the, the answer to that question is absolutely. With God's help and practicing God's principles, listen, our marriages can be set up for success, and we can have wonderful, great marriages that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give you four keys today, four keys from God's Word to set your marriage up to be sweet instead of sour. (laughs) Because if you don't practice these four principles, I can guarantee you this, your marriage will be sour instead of being sweet, instead of being great, instead of being god honoring. Now, let's dive right into the message today. Point number one is this. If you want to have a great marriage, if you want to set your marriage up for success, you have to apply number one, and that is this. You need to have realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. I don't know any other area in life where we have higher expectations and more unrealistic expectations than we do in a marriage relationship. I mean, so many people, they, they get married and they think this. They think, my life is going to be perfect from here on out now that I am married. And you know what? Our, our society, our, our, our world kind of sets us up for this kind of thinking. Our, our world sets us up to have these unrealistic expectations. I, I think one of the major causes why people have unrealistic expectations is because of Hollywood. I mean, you, you watch some of these movies where... There's these perfect couples, and they, they, they get married, and they live happily ever after. And you, you see the, 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 the knight comes in his shining armor on his white horse, and he rides, and he saves the damsel, and he picks her up and throws her on the back of the white horse, and they ride off into the sunset. It's just wonderful. Let me help you today, singles. Let me help you. Hey, ladies, nobody's going to come pick you up on no white horse. Uh, maybe a white hoopty. I know some of you don't know what a hoopty is, but, but he ain't coming on a white horse. And, and if somebody does come on a white horse, you're probably not riding off into the sunset. You're heading off into the smog. Please hear me. That's Hollywood. That, that's made up. That, that, that's not realistic. And Hollywood can set us up to have unrealistic expectations. And, and then there's the whole dating process. And, and I think the whole dating process can just set us up to have unrealistic expectations. How many know that, that dating couples, if they're not careful, they, they put up a front. <laughs> and they put their best foot forward while they're dating. And every time they see each other, they look so good and it looks so, so nice. They have it all together. And, and then while, while people are dating, uh, we can have such unnatural responses to one another. And we just do things that are unnatural to us. Like, like, like a man who's trying to win over a woman. 
He'll, he'll say something like this. I've got the perfect date planned for us. I'm going to take you out to a ballet. There's not a man in his right mind that wants to go to no ballet. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go to no ballet, you know. But we'll do that stuff over dating, man. I got the perfect night. I'm going to come over to your place, and we're going to make some popcorn, and we're going to watch the Food Network together. I don't want to watch no Food Network. The only thing I want to watch that starts with an F is football. Um, but while we're dating, oh, we put up a front. We try to put the best foot forward because we're trying to win that person over. And it can set us up to have unrealistic expectations. And, and then there's the wedding and preparing for the wedding. And there's so many unrealistic expectations. Single men, let me help you. Please hear me. Let me help you today. If nobody's ever told you this, your pastor wants to help you out today. Let me tell you, the star of the wedding is the bride. You need to understand that. And the co-star is the mother of the bride. Hear me? Hear me? Let me help you. Everybody else is just a supporting cast. You don't matter. They don't need you. My mother-in-law started planning, the wedding, planning our wedding before I even proposed to my wife. I mean, listen to me. Just want to help you. Want to help you. You know what they do on the wedding? They, they take the bride and they go hibernate her for three days. She goes hibernates out, hides out for three days. And they just pamper her and they, they take care of her. They spend a lot of money to make her look good. They get her nails done. They get her toes done and scrub off the callus off her feet and just get it all nice and wax her eyebrows and I mean, they spend hours on her hair. I don't even know what that white veil thing is on the hair, but they put that thing, and they got to get her hair just perfect and lick it over, slack it over, spray it over. I mean, they just going to get it just perfect. And she just looks three days of pampering, and she comes down that aisle. Let me tell you, listen to me, men. That, that's the best you're going to ever see, that woman. Listen to me now. <laughs> Except for you, Tiffany. Now, I know, but baby, not, not Tiffany, though. Not Tiffany. I mean, they make that woman look good. You know what else they do to make her look so good? They have these bride, bridesmaids in all these ugly dresses. I don't know one bridesmaid that wore that dress any other time but that wedding day. Those are some ugly suckers, ugly colors. And, and you know why they do that? Because they want the bride to look good. So they put these women in ugly dresses, and the bride comes down. Then there's the honeymoon. The newlywed couple goes to a place and spends money that they don't have. And they go to some exotic, exotic resorts. They stay in five-star accommodations, three-bedroom hotel. They eat five-star, five-course gourmet meal every night. And there's romance and love, fireworks. We're newly married. Roll the clock forward six months. Now they're in their one-bedroom apartment, and the heat don't work, so they got to call the landlord. Hi, it's Saturday morning, and they're sitting around the breakfast table, and there's no gourmet meal. They're eating cold cereal, and, and the brother there is sitting there with his white T-shirt on, and he's got a stubby beard, and, and his wife is sitting there with her curlers in her hair, and she's got her moo-moo on, and she wears that moo-moo to bed, too. I mean, moo-moo all the time, and they both got body odor. They both got morning breath. 
He's over there passing gas and laughing. Uh, I'm just telling you the truth, huh? Uh, he didn't do that before he got married. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. How uh, Before he got married, he tried to hold it in. Uh, let it seep out. And then try to play like he don't know where the smell come from. Just, huh? That beautiful bride that he married six months ago that looked so gorgeous, she's over there sitting in her curlers burping. Burp. Never did that before. They got burp, huh? Burping and blowing it in his face. Burp. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. That dating process, that wedding, I mean, people go into it with such unrealistic expectations. And because our marriage and our wedding day has so high expectations, there's nothing in our life that can set us up for more letdown, for more disappointment, for more heartache than our marriage because so many people go into it with unrealistic expectations. Here's what I want to tell you. Listen, great marriages, they have realistic expectations. Understand that there are no perfect people. So two imperfect people get married. And so therefore, there's no perfect marriages. And you have to understand that. You have to have realistic expectations. There are no perfect people. Matter of fact, the scripture says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 20. It says, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Listen, we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. And you have to understand when you get into a marriage relationship, you need to enter into it with realistic expectations. Here's what I want you to do. All of our married couples, grab a pen. Those of you that are dating or engaged, just grab a pen. Do this with me. Do, do this exercise. I want you just to jot down one thing in your marriage, in your dating relationship, that is an unrealistic expectation. Just jot it down. Just jot it down. And then you just think about it. Pray over it. Say, Lord, help me. I realize in my marriage this is so unrealistic that I think my husband, my spouse, my wife should do this, my, the, the person that I'm dating should do this. Write that down. Let the Lord help you. I preach for life change. And I believe the Lord is going to use this to, to, to change our lives today. Number two is this. If you're going to have a great marriage, if you're going to have a marriage that is sweet instead of sour, number two is very, very vital. You need to apply this to your life. Number two, accept and appreciate each other's differences. Accept and appreciate each other's differences. For many marriages, the old cliche is true. Opposites attract. And then after they're married, opposites attack. It's very true. Opposites oftentimes attract to one another. For instance, people who are very structured in their life tend to marry someone who is spontaneous. People who are reserved tend to marry an outgoing person. People who are daring and impulsive tend to marry people who are cautious and reserved. People who are talkers tend to marry a bump on the log. People who love to spend money tend to marry a tightwad. I mean, we're, we're different. And here's the real kicker. Not only do opposites attract, but the bottom line is this. Men and women are different. All the married couples say amen. I mean, we're, di we're, di we're different. Men and women are just different. And we have to learn to accept and appreciate one, another, one another's differences. We're, we're, we're just wired differently. Men and women, they, they think differently. We process information 
differently. Men are more visual driven. Women are more emotional driven. We're just wired differently. Even when it comes to the area of sex, we're just different. A woman can break her nail and not be in the mood for two weeks. We're different. Huh? A man can get fired from his job, get on the wreck on the way home, hit the cat in the driveway, get out the car, walk up the porch, slip down and cut his head open, walk inside, step on the dog's foot, the dog bites him, and if his wife's in the mood, he's ready! He's ready! I mean, we're, we're just, we're, we are just different. And here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. Because we are different, if we're not careful, we'll let our differences irritate us and frustrate us. We'll let our differences drive a wedge in the marriage relationship. And instead of saying that we're different and we're here to complement one another, that we're here to complete one another, that we're here to strengthen one another, we will let our differences be a right and wrong issue. I'm right and you're wrong. And the issue is not right or wrong. The issue is you're different. And you're there to complete each other. You're there to complement each other. And you have to learn to accept and appreciate one another's differences or it can destroy your marriage and make it very sour. Let me remind you what the Scripture says in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, picking up in verse number 13. What I want you to do is I read this Scripture to you about how God wired us, about how God made us. I don't want you to think about you. I want you to think about your spouse. I don't want you to think about you. I want you to think about the person that you're dating or engaged to. Notice the Bible says this, For you created my inmost being, and God did that. He created our inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, but I don't want you to think about you. I praise you because my spouse is fearfully and wonderfully made. Huh, those things that irritate you? I want you to know something about your spouse. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are made in the image of God. He goes on to say, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Listen, God created your spouse. He wired your spouse like they are, and they are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you need to embrace that. You need to accept that. You need to appreciate them for how God made them. Tiffany and I are very different. I mean, I could just go through a list of differences. My my wife likes to go out and work in the yard, and like to have bushes and flowers. and I, mean, I don't care nothing about no yard work. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, we can have gravel out there in the yard. I mean, I just, I don't care. Not my wife. My wife, she likes to do little odds and end jobs in the house. She wants to paint rooms. Matter of fact, one, one day I got back home, my wife had moved all the furniture in the living room. I was like, baby, why'd you do that? You know, mess up my chair. I like my chair over there, but I just say nothing. I just sit in it where it is now because my wife likes to move stuff and move it out. I don't care anything about no housework. As a matter of fact, when it comes to hammering something on the wall, here, Tiff, here's the hammer, then I'll hold it louder for you so we to go to it. I mean, we're just, we're different. We're just, we're different. I'm very structured, very organized. Literally, I have my haircut appointments planned out a year in advance just to get my haircut. I'm just weird like that. I'm just very structured. I plan our vacations out a year in advance. I know where we're going to go. I plan my weeks and my months out, and I don't like anybody to mess with me. I'm just very sure I want this happen this day, this day, this happen. This, don't mess with me. Now, my wife, on the other hand, we can go on vacation tomorrow. I mean, she's just more spontaneous. We are just different. And I have learned that, listen, don't let it irritate me. Don't let it frustrate me. I appreciate my wife, and I accept our differences. She completes me. She compliments me. And she's fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And we're going to have a great marriage because we have learned to accept and appreciate each other's differences. Here's what I want you to do. Here's an exercise for you. Come on, grab a pen and some paper. Even if you don't have one, just fake like you do so I feel good up here. All right, get a pen and some paper. And I want you to write this down. What is a difference? What what difference is there in your marriage or in your dating relationship that irritates you? (laughs) Just, Just jot it down. Nobody else needs to see it. You just jot it down and say, Lord, I need you to help me here. I need you to help me here that I would begin to accept and appreciate our differences. Point number three, there's a, a, a third thing that, that, that's very key to us having a great marriage relationship. Number three is this, deal with unresolved issues. Unresolved issues. And I want to point out two areas here. Number one is this, you have to deal with the unresolved issues you bring into your marriage. Some of the worst unresolved issues are the ones that you brought into your marriage from your past. Hear me today. All of us have baggage that we bring into our marriage. Hurts, habits, carry hang-ups from our previous family. And here's the deal. The more pain that you bring, the more pain that you had growing up and that you bring into your marriage, the more unresolved issues that you have to learn to work through. Here's the thing about marriage. When it comes to marriage, marriage doesn't necessarily create problems as much as it reveals problems. It shows the issues that you have. It reveals the hang-ups that you need to work through in your life. And I, when I got married 11 years ago in December, I didn't even realize some of the hang-ups that I had. And I got married, and I, I realized very quickly that I had a hard time trusting because of things in my past and my family and my dad and mom divorcing. I, I just had a difficult time trusting and so I would question Tiffany and Moses, why'd you spend that? Why, why, why'd you do that? And just trying, to, just trying to get an understanding. And, and it was a trust issue for me. And I thank the Lord that over time, the Lord did a work in my heart. And he healed me. And not only do I have a great trust for my wife, but there are other people that I have great confidence in and great trust in because the Lord did a, a work in my heart and in my life. Matter of fact, most of you, if you have a hang-up in your life, your spouse already knows about it. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I asked my wife this morning. I just wanted to confirm that I was on the right track. So I said, honey, uh, I was getting ready to head out the door. And I said, hey, babe, what, what area do you think I, I struggled in, baggage I brought into our marriage? And my wife said, right off the top of her head, trust. You had a hard time trusting me. But the Lord helped me. And here's the deal. You've got to deal with those unresolved issues from your past. Some of you are allowing things from your past, things from your childhood, things from your first marriage to hinder you and they're hindering and they're destroying your marriage because you won't deal with unresolved issues from the past if i could just say a word to our singles singles listen to me deal with unresolved issues before you say i do deal with the hurts of the past get some closure don't take bitterness and hostility into your marriage relationship deal with the unresolved issues There's a second thing that I want to bring to your attention about unresolved issues. Number two is this. You have to deal with the unresolved issues that happen in your marriage. In your marriage. Not not, not the stuff that you just bring into the marriage, but issues that arise in your marriage. And every marriage has issues that arise. And great marriages simply deal with the issues. But can I tell you that for many marriages, there are things that keep coming up over and over and over again, and many people don't ever resolve them. They don't ever talk about them. Maybe it's too personal. Maybe it's too touchy. It could be finances. It could be sex. 
It could be the in-laws. It could be the kids. It could be communication. And many couples have this issue, this unresolved issue. I call it the elephant in the room. It is this big, but they never deal with it. Matter of fact, they eat dinner every night together, but they never deal with the elephant in the room. They go to bed at night, but they never deal with it. I mean, the issue's there, the problem's there. They both know it's there, but they go, and some couples can go for years and years, and they never deal with the elephant in the room, and yet it's driving a wedge in their marriage. It's causing chaos in their marriage. It's making their marriage sour instead of sweet, and they never deal with the unresolved issue. And the best advice I can give you from God's Word is this. Deal with unresolved issues quickly quickly. The Word of God says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26 and 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Can I tell you, there are a lot of couples, the sun has been going down. It's been rising and going down for years, and they never have dealt with the unresolved issue. The sun has went up, and the sun has went down. The sun has come up, and the sun has went down. And the issue is still there. And the Word of God says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And some of you have been carrying anger and hostility and resentment in your marriage because of the elephant in the room that you never deal with. You say, Herbert, why do I need to deal with it? Why should I let the sun go down while I'm angry? Why should I deal with the unresolved problem quickly? Verse number 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Can I tell you, when you don't deal with issues quickly, it's a great relationship principle in God's Word. When you don't deal with the issues, you give the devil a foothold. And some of you are giving the devil a crack in your marriage to cause havoc. You're opening the door up for the devil. And some of you, the door has swung wide open because of an unresolved issue that neither one of you will talk about. And I challenge you, you've got to talk about, you have to talk about the, the issue. Here's what I want you to do. Grab your pen and paper. And I want you to write down, if there's an unresolved issue in your marriage, in your dating relationship, I just want you to jot it down. There, there is an elephant in the room, Herbert, we both know. I'm just going to jot it down. And as you jot this down, man, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me discernment. Lord, give me gentleness. Lord, give me love. Lord, show me how to deal with this issue that is causing a major problem in our marriage. I don't want to continue to give the devil a foothold. I close with point number four. You want to have a great marriage? You want your marriage to be sweet instead of sour? Number four is very key. You have to forgive hurts. Forgive hurts. As I said earlier, the truth is we're all imperfect people. And because we're imperfect, we can hurt each other. Sometimes we hurt each other intentionally, and sometimes we hurt each other unintentionally. But in every marriage relationship, there is hurt that takes place. And can I tell you, when you live this life, you will experience hurt. And here's the thing that I've come to understand, is that the person who has the potential to hurt you the most is the person that you love the most. Can I tell you who has the potential to hurt me the most? It's my wife, Tiffany. I love her. I adore her. I want to take care of her. I care about what she thinks. And she has the ability to hurt me the most, and I have the ability to hurt her the most. And because that's the case in mar a marriage relationship, we have to practice. It has to be part of our daily habit of our lifestyle. We have to practice forgiveness. Every marriage needs massive doses 
of forgiveness. I mean doses and doses and doses because we're imperfect and we make mistakes and we have to have doses of forgiveness if we're going to have a healthy thriving relationship. There's nothing that will destroy a relationship quicker than holding on to unforgiveness. Here's what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. It says, be gentle and ready to forgive. Isn't that good? Notice that be gentle and ready to forgive. And some of you, you're not ready to forgive. You're ready to get your list out. He did it again. I knew it. And, she, and you're just, you just can't wait to keep score. And that's not healthy. The Scripture says, don't do that. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Notice what it says. Never hold grudges. Some of you have been holding grudges in your marriage. Some of you, you didn't even realize that you're holding a grudge until I'm teaching right now and the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart and there are some issues that you continue to bring up over and over and over again and you continue to throw it in your spouse's face and you thought you're walking in forgiveness, but you're not walking in forgiveness. You're holding a grudge. I remember back in 1977 on our honeymoon what you did to me and you holding a grudge and you're bringing it up and you're not letting it go and it's causing issues in your marriage. It goes on to say, never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you. The Lord forgave you. And I'm thankful that our Heavenly Father, when He forgives us, He doesn't remember our sin anymore. He didn't start bringing up the past to her, but I remember what you did back there in 1992. He didn't do that to us. He forgives and He forgets. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let me tell you something. You want to know what a healthy marriage keeps a healthy marriage? is massive doses of forgiveness. I look at my wife's grandparents. They've been married 50-plus years. They're serving the Lord. Been in church for years. Kids are all serving the Lord. Most of all, the grandkids are serving the Lord. And I look at them, 50 years of a great marriage. They love each other. Can I tell you how they've made it 50 years and have a great marriage? And they're serving the Lord, and they're in church today in their 80s. It's because there has been massive doses of forgiveness. And they've learned to walk in forgiveness and not hold grudges. I don't want to be married 50 years and I'm miserable. I want to be married 50 years to my wife. And it's great and it's thriving. And the only way that happens is when you and I walk in forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word.